Well, dear ones, for around 13 years, my wife and I had the wonderful privilege of working in Africa. Africans have a wonderful custom. The custom basically is, is that when a Christian stands in front of other Christians, he greets them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two reasons. The first reason is that I recognize that in order for me to be an effective communicator of God's word, I need his Holy Spirit to work through me. But at the same time, worship is never just a one-way thing. It's not just me talking to you, but it's also you saying you want the Holy Spirit of God to speak to your hearts. And so in the African culture, what would happen is that I would greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as my way of saying I want him to work through my life. But if you want the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts this morning, you would respond back by saying amen. So dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard the words in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, at different times during my times of personal devotions. The words of that passage comes along and states, Pursue holiness, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. I thought to myself, nice words, holiness, but it's a lofty goal, an idealistic concept. And the question I had was, can a person really be holy? Perhaps I was skeptical because of all, with all my heart I had wanted to live an obedient and holy life. And yet, no matter how hard I tried, I still find myself in the doldrums of defeat. If someone looked at me the wrong way, I could feel the heat of annoyance surging through my entire being. When a teenager made fun of me for being oriental, squinting his eyes, showing buck teeth, chanting, Assaw, Assaw, an unrighteous anger surged through me. When someone infringed upon a right that I assumed was mine to possess, words of unkindness flowed forth from my mouth. The circumstances may be different, but perhaps you have thought or are thinking and feeling the exact same way in which I did. (laughs) Though you had sought to be holy, realistically you know that you just don't have it and you still struggle with anger towards someone, your parents, your roommate, or someone that you work with. Or perhaps you have a temper that unleashes itself in destructive ways. Or you are involved in an immoral habit that has this deadly grip around your throat, choking the very life out of you. Dear ones, I want you to know something. That whatever your particular sin issue, the Bible has the answer for you. There is hope. You and I can walk in obedience to God's word and live a life of holiness. In fact... The Bible informs us that God expects every single Christian, no matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, no matter what walk of life they come from, God wants every Christian to live a holy life. In fact, it is the promised birthright of every single believer. The Apostle Paul wrote, Sin does not have to be our master. Now, I can empathize with some of you. You heard that this chapel was going to be on holiness, and thus you came to be bored. You came to yawn. You came to lie back and take a nap or to come along and study for a class. I've been where you are. Perhaps one reason why many of you get turned off when the topic of holiness is presented is because the whole concept seems so archaic to this present generation. To some minds, the very word holiness brings images of women in bund hairstyles or long shapeless dresses or black stockings with a seam on the back of it or for men them wearing thin colorless ties or out-of-date suits or individuals that go around without smiles on their face at all. To some of you, you have the idea that holiness is associated with that repugnant holier-than-thou attitude. The attitude that seems to smile when it cries out, you better turn or you're going to burn, or you better toil or you're going to boil, or you better cry or else you're going to die. Yet, Holiness is a scriptural truth that must be understood and appropriated. 
The word holy in various forms occurs at least 600 times, they tell me, in the Bible. And the idea of holiness is interwoven everywhere throughout Scripture. In fact, another way of explaining it is that when you were growing up, your parents would come along and repeat things over and over to you. And you would, when you would say, why are you doing that? They would say, because we want you to know it. We, it's so important. We're going to repeat it over and over. Holiness is an important concept inside the Word of God that needs to be repeated over and over for us to realize how important it is. But exactly how one is to be holy has suffered from many false concepts. Some teach that the way to be holy is equated with a series of specific prohibitions. Don't smoke, don't drink, or don't dance. The list of prohibitions varies depending upon the group in which you're talking about. But the problem of following this approach to holiness is that we can run the danger of becoming just like the Pharisees with their endless lists of do's and don'ts and their self-righteous attitude. Others come along and teach that holiness means a particular style of dress or mannerisms. In fact, I can remember growing up and just accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and having longer hair, going to churches where people were preaching on holiness and being told that I could not be holy until I cut my hair. I always wondered, what would they do with Jesus Christ? Some silently advocate what can be termed cultural holiness in that their goal is only to adapt to the behaviors and character patterns of Christians around them. And so as the Christian culture around them is more or less holy, these Christians then are more or less holy. And yet, dear ones, this misses the whole point of what holiness is all about. God has not called us to be like those around us, but God has called us to be like Himself. Amen? And so holiness is conformity to Jesus Christ. It is conformity to God. During conversations that I have with individuals on holiness, certain questions have a way of arising repeatedly. One of those questions goes something, something, you know, something like this. If we are called to be holy, why is it that we do not experience it more in our daily lives? Another qu question that arises many times is, why do so many churches seem to be more conformed to the world than to God himself? I believe that in order to answer these two questions, we need to examine two questions. First of all, is our attitude towards sin more self-centered than God-centered? Too many are more concerned about their own victory over sin than they are about the fact that their sins grieve the heart of God. They cannot tolerate failure in their struggle for sin, chiefly because they are success-oriented and not because they know that it's offensive against God. Their thoughts go something like this. I need to become holy because it's going to make me feel good. Or I need to become holy because I want to receive all the wonderful blessings from God. Now understand something, dear ones. I am not saying that being holy is not going to come along and make you feel good. I'm not coming along and saying that once you become holy, you will never experience the wonderful blessings from God. But dear ones, if these are the only reasons why I want to become holy, you and I don't understand what holiness is all about. There are individuals who are interested in holiness not because God commands it, commands us to be holy, and not because sin wounds the heart of God, but because of what they think that it can do for them, to make them feel good, to be accepted by those who are part of the Christian culture, to receive the promised blessings of those who come to become holy. W.S. Plumer stated, We never see sin aright until we see it as against God. All sin is against God in that it is his law that is broken, his authority that is despised, his government that is set at naught. The retiring prodigal son said, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. 
King David in the Old Testament came along and stated, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And so the question that you and I have to ask ourselves, do we really take sin seriously? It seems to me, it seems that for some individuals that they mentally like to categorize sins into acceptable sins and those that can be tolerated. But the question that we must ask ourselves is, are we willing to call sin, sin, not because it is big or little, but because God's law forbids it? Sin cannot be categorized if we want to live a life of holiness. Holiness begins with seeing God's holiness, His absolute purity, and His hatred for sin. It is only when you and I understand this that we, can be, that we will be gripped by the awfulness of sin and how it breaks the heart of a holy God. To have a heart understanding of this fact is the first step into one's journey into holiness. The second question that you and I need to examine is, do we truly understand what is meant by the phrase living by faith as it relates to our holiness? Some interpret this phrase as meaning that no effort at holiness is required on our part. They contend that any exerted effort on our part is part of the flesh, and because of that, we are sinning against God. And yet, dear ones, I want you to understand something. is the fact that you and I, we have a part, that Christians have a responsibility for our walk in holiness. Amen? A farmer plows his field. He sows the seed, and he fertilizes, and he cultivates all the while knowing that in the final analysis, he is utterly dependent upon the forces which are outside of himself. He knows that he cannot cause the seed to germinate. He knows that he cannot come along and produce the rain or the sunshine to come down so that there will be a harvest at the end of the season. For a successful harvest, he is dependent upon those things that come from God. And yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, to fertilize, and to cultivate, he cannot ex expect a harvest at the end. So in a sense, he becomes a partner with God. And he will only reap the benefits when he has fulfilled his own responsibilities. And so farming really is a joint venture with God. The farmer cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer should be doing. I believe that holiness is also a joint effort. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his or her life. But at the same time, no one will attain holiness without the effort that it takes on his or her part. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we read these words. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. When the Apostle Paul told us to be filled with the Spirit, he was not commanding us to sit around passively and to wait for something to be poured into us. The Holy Spirit has already been poured in. If you're a believer, you have already been filled with the Spirit. In fact, He has taken up residence inside your heart. You have all of Him that you will ever get. But the question that you have to ask is this. How much of you does He have? You see, this is Paul's point in, in, in to the letter to the Ephesians. He was calling for total surrender to the gentle yet firm promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, how does one enter into the spirit life? I believe that we need to look at least, you know, look at two things, at least two things. First of all, there needs to be total dependence. The spirit-filled life begins once we are absolutely and thoroughly convinced that we can do nothing apart from the indwelling strength of the Holy Spirit. Now notice the wording. I did not say it begins when we are convinced, but it begins when we are convinced. A reality is this is that some of us are going to be harder to convince than others. 
But the spirit-filled life, the spirit-controlled life begins with an overwhelming realization that we are absolutely helpless and hopeless apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And until you and I understand this simple truth, and until this simple truth, truth grips us at the core of our very being, we will never experience the full-blown power of the Holy Spirit inside our lives. And why? Because we will always be out there doing the things that we need to do for God in our strength and trying to live a holy life in our own power. Without meaning to, I believe that there are many Christians who lived independently of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. In fact, can I be so presumptuous to come along and state that I believe that there are individuals at this university who come along, and even though they come along and state that they are Christians, do not live it in the power of the Spirit of God. They never give Him a second thought. Especially in academia, where scholarship is stressed, a danger is this that we can make the spirit nothing more than a theological category for learning and discussion. We can do our assignments, typing the correct phrases on papers to get the right grade of how we should love our neighbors, how we should have the right attitudes, how we are supposed to be holy, how we're supposed to stay pure, and yet not truly live in the power of God. And so we go about our business, committed to trying to do the best that we can do. I wonder if the culture at Indiana Wesleyan University runs the danger of developing Christians who do a lot of work for God, but not in the power of God. In his brilliant satire, The Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis imagined a demon screw tape dialoguing with his apprentice, Wormwood. As we listen to their conversation, we begin to learn that the villainous screw tape hated mere Christianity and desperately wanted to adorn it with worldly ideas, worldly fads, worldly trends, worldly technology, worldly sensationalism, and whatever else he could sell to gullible Christians. And the reason he did this was because he, wanted, he knew that these things would water down and weaken the purity of the faith. For no longer would Christians see their need for soul dependence upon God, but now it becomes Jesus plus something else. And yet, dear ones, I contend that Christianity needs no embellishment. Because as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 states, God's power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I also contend that before many of you will fully understand what it means to be filled and controlled by the Spirit, you will have to experience brokenness, desperation, so that when the process is complete, what is left is a man and a woman who truly and fully understand their need for God. And though it may be hard, and it was hard for me to accept at first, I am realizing that mental, physical, and emotional valleys often hold the most fertile soil when it comes to spiritual growth. I have discovered that even though I may not like the process, God has a way of using sickness or financial pressures or appetites or habits or relational conflicts or grades or stressful situations, whatever it takes to make us realize our weakness in Him. In fact, I like what Charles Stanley wrote. God is an expert at engineering circumstances so that we find ourselves with nowhere to turn but to Him. The second thing I think that needs to happen, dear ones, is that there needs to be total surrender. I believe that dependence and surrender go hand in hand. We can't fully surrender our wills until we are convinced that we are in a hopeless situation. Let me try to jump a little bit, but just for the sake of time. Josh, give me a favor, come on up here. When I was in Africa, I tried to understand what this whole idea of dependence and surrender was all about. 
And so one of the things that happens is that when you and I come along and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior, we really come along and state that we want to give our all because we want to give our heart to Him. But what tends to happen sometimes, dear ones, is this, is that we come along and instead of giving God all, we come along and all we do is that we give Him our hand. The problem is God comes along and states, hey, Josh, I'm not happy with that at all. I think you need to be giving much more. So Josh kind of scratches his head a little. As he scratches his head, he begins to think to himself, what else can I give to God? So he thinks to himself, I know, I'll give him another hand. And he thinks that's all right. He thinks, man, I'm a holy person now. But the problem is, he has the God comes along and he says, hey, Josh, I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. So Josh, again, he can't scratch his head now, but he thinks to himself, what can I do? So he says, well, what? I know what I'll do, God. I'm going to come and I'm going to give you one of my feet. And so God comes along and says, whoa, Josh, good. I'm, I'm glad you're giving all that to me, but you have to understand something. There has to be more that you give. So Josh kind of thinks to himself. He can't scratch with his hands or his feet now, so he thinks to himself, what can I do? He says, Lord, I'll give you my head. <laughs> but the problem is this, is that God comes along and he says, whoa, sorry, Josh, there needs to be much more. Josh comes along and starts wondering, what else am I supposed to give? And God comes along and he says, Josh, get on a chair and give yourself totally to me. Okay, thanks, my friend. <clears throat> Now, dear ones, I understand that time's running out, but I believe this is important where I'm taking you now. I come from a dysfunctional family. And so for 30-some years after I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, I've been praying for my mom and my stepdad that they would become Christians. My stepdad has, is very sick right now. In fact, there's probably he doesn't have much longer to live. And so a few weeks ago, my wife and I began talking that I really needed to go down to North Carolina to come along and to share with my, my stepdad about Jesus Christ and his, plan, and his plan of salvation. And I struggled with that. And if it wasn't for my wife, Roxy, continuing to encourage me, I'm not really sure if I wanted to go down there. But Roxy, a wife, can be very persuasive. And so I got into the car. We drove down there a few days before spring break to be with my, father, my stepfather. And I can remember standing on the side of his bed. As I stood there, I knew that I was supposed to witness to him, but can I share all this bitterness that I had towards this man who really was not my father for 30-some years. All of a sudden, it came on, dawned on me, I really didn't care whether he went to heaven or not. And I decided, and I began to rebel against God. And I came along and said that, God, man, I do all these other good things for you. I preach at family camps, I do youth camps and stuff like that, but man, I want you to know something. Excuse me, because I don't want to witness to this man that I really don't love at all. And the Holy Spirit of God descended upon me and he said, Jim, if you don't witness to this man, you don't understand what holiness is all about. And I struggled. And I went probably for another few minutes talking about everything else under the sun, but I did not want to witness to my stepdad because I really did hate him. But the Holy Spirit kept speaking to my heart and saying, you preach about holiness and in a few weeks you're going to be talking about holiness. Now you've got to live holiness out. And so I stood there next to the bed. And I said, Lord, I can't do it in my own power. And as I said that, I just felt this wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit entering in. And it sure wasn't in my power that I was able to do it. But I was able to share very awkwardly the plan of salvation with this man that was dying, 80-some years old. And as I looked down upon him, I could see the tears beginning to run down his face. And he and I were able to say a prayer together, and he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I share that, dear ones, is so often in the holiness movements, we assume that once you're holy once, then that's it. 
But can I share, it is a repeated going to the altar of saying, I'm going to place my all upon the altar. There's a quote that J.C. Ryle comes along and he makes. And he states that it is not enough to believe the truth in your head or to profess it with your lips or even that it sometimes produces strong emotions in you. But real Christianity rules in the heart. It governs the affections, it leads the will, it directs the tastes and the choices and the decisions of a person. Holiness seeks for the reality of Christ truly ruling inside the heart. We're going to do a song, an invitation song. We have been spending in the last few days talking about holiness. And dear ones, I believe that now it's time for us and for you. I believe that there are many of you that have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. But what has happened is this, is that you've only given a part of yourself. And now God's coming along and saying, hey, I want you to give all of yourself. So I'm going to ask if the worship team will come on out here. We're going to sing a song. And I realize that time's running late, but dear ones, I think this is much more important for you to be involved in than for you to even go to a class at this moment. And so will you do me a favor? Will you stand up where you are? And if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart, will you do me a favor? And you're saying that, yes, I've given, I've given, my, I've given a part of myself, but now I realize in holiness I need to give all of myself. Will you do me a favor? Will you walk out from where you are? Will you stand in front here? Because we'd like to have a time of prayer with you. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you that through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension, and through the sending of your Holy Spirit to our lives, you do refine us and you make us pure, set apart for your holy purposes. Oh God, how we desire for this work of holiness in our hearts and in our lives. Send us forth the fullness, the power, the holiness of your Spirit. Amen.